0: Well, good morning mighty men and women of god wherever you may be watching from or those of you who are here good morning oh it's great to have you it's great to celebrate these new lives in fact first service we had three baptisms and again just a a powerful time where where as pastor kenneth explained the the symbolism there of identifying with christ in his death you know I, i know at times uh, some of you wish you were baptizing your kids and could hold them under and wash all that sin away um, But you know it's it's that identification of no longer to sin have to be your master and that you come up out of those uh, Those baptismal waters and just say this is new life in Christ and and when you do that You don't only find life in Christ. That's where we find our life but Christ has a bride And do you know who that bride is? It is the church of Jesus Christ. So when you've been baptized into Christ, you are also baptized into a family of faith called the church. And the church is made up of people. And I know so many times we think of church more as an institution, but I want you to think about it more as a a body of people. And what can you tell me about people? People are messy. People are messy. In fact, how many times have you heard this? You know, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. I don't like the church because I don't like Christians. Because the Christians I know who go to church fall into one or a number of these categories. They are lying, cheating, selfish, greedy, racist, lustful, chemically dependent, judgmental, angry, greedy. You said he looked shocked. Like, did he say that? Yeah, I said that. Because how many of us can struggle, even though we say we are... Christ followers, how many of us can say, man, at times I find myself kind of going around the rules a little bit, or I find myself compromising on the truth that I know to be true. I think we can all find ourselves in that, and especially in times like these in which we live, because when you get people together, you have people together from different backgrounds. And because we have people from different backgrounds, we have people with different opinions. Can you believe that? And for some reason, in the last year and a half, there are a lot of opinions. And why people like to stay away from church is because people share their opinions. But they can share their opinions in ways that it's almost like, if you don't agree with me, then you become my enemy. Right? And this is what has been breaking my heart as a pastor in the church of Jesus Christ. I I, I tell you, I'm I'm a pastor here of Grace Spring Bible Church, and I love that I'm a pastor here at Grace Spring Bible Church. But as I meet with pastors, we're all seeing the very same thing, and that is the enemy of God is getting incredible victory in times like this because the enemy will always do divide and conquer. If he could get in the middle of the family of faith and he could divide, and he could get this camp over here and say, we know that our outlook on life is the right way. Theologically, we are sound. We could go up to anybody. And, and, and then with, because I'm a theologian, now I consider myself a researcher. And so now I'll research and I will come and, and land on a position. And when I land on that position, here's what I do. I then look at those people over here and say, you know what? I can't believe how ill-informed they are. And then all of a sudden, and I've addressed this before, but I tell you, we live in a day and age where this subject matter continually needs to be addressed because they over there look at we over here, and they look down on us, and they articulate looking down on us by the Facebook posts that they post, the messages that they share. I can tell you, as a pastor, I've never had so many sermons that are sent to me going, hey, you know what? That pastor had courage. And all of a sudden, it's some big political sermon where if anyone who did not hold that political persuasion was in that church, they would feel horrible, okay? And then some have shared and said, hey, well, here's the research I've done from this doctor from such and such who believes this. Hey, let me tell you, trust me, trust me on this. This will save you from sending me stuff, all right? (laughs) Trust me on this. Whatever you send me, I can find a professional with even a little bit more degrees after their name who will say the other thing. I'm just saying, that is the world we live in. In counseling world, you will always, if you look hard enough, you will always find somebody who will say to you exactly what you want to hear. You just got to look. You got to Google enough. They're out there. They will agree with you. And we live in this time where people become so passionately convinced at the rightness of where they have landed that this side looks down on this side and this side also can look down on that side. And we got this incredible division going on. And some people tragically have informed me, man, sometimes I I don't feel like I can come back because of certain posts people have made that so looks down on those who are in my camp that I used to respect them. But now if I see them in person, I will have a harder time respecting them. And this is just the truth. It's just the truth. I got to call it as I see it. And uh, I firmly believe the enemy is getting just too many victories in this because God has created something that is so incredibly magnificent. God has given us a term and that term is grace. And grace is to the faith to help the church function well together, uh, he's made grace to function in the very same role as this motor oil plays in my engine. This motor oil, Um, there's all kinds of uh, lubricants out there, but motor oil is what is designed for the engine of a car so that when this is put in, how many of you have ever run out of oil in your car? How'd it work for you? Not very good. Overheating, you could ruin your engine. Why? Because inside your engine, there is friction going on, there is a fire going on, and what happens is this oil helps Put that all under control so the pistons can move at very fast speeds. And that this is designed so that these multiple parts can work together and that that friction will not get out of control. Because when the friction gets out of control, a.k.a. when the grace stops, the mission of the church is greatly affected. Would you agree with that? So, the big takeaway is, well, grace is to the faith what mortar oil is to an engine. Now, remember when Jesus came. Jesus, it says in the Gospel of John, he was full of two things. It says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Now, at a Bible church, we go, hey, all about the truth, love the truth, love to get into God's word. Yes, that is hugely important. But as I said, you have to understand that Jesus was not only full of truth, he was also full of grace. And I think it's so important for us to prayerfully find that balance. In some scenarios where we have seen somebody just... Uh, relishing in their sin and paying the consequences because God has built into the fabric of his creation consequences that when you break those laws, like the law of gravity, you say, I don't believe in the law of gravity, and you jump off a cliff. Uh, Let me tell you something. Gravity will win. God has designed it that way. And so when it comes to living a life that is true to the loving instruction of the Word of God, this is loving instruction. This is not to make your life miserable. How many times we've been raised in churches where it's just kind of like, well, I got to follow the rules. But God just says this here. I've given you a way to live. And that you will find the life in that. I have come that you will have life and have it to the full. He says, I want you to have this to the full. And, And so it's important that the choices that we make. And so... For us, if we are going to be the church that Jesus has called us to be, yes, we want to be full of truth, but we also need to. And I would venture to say, especially in times like these, where people are so wildly opinionated and so polarized and so opposite uh, on the spectrum of things, that we want to be a place that if we say, I disagree with you, but I still love you, I mean, we, and we need to articulate that. I think we've got to stop posting stuff on social media. It's driving me insane. I still can't get on Facebook because when I get back on, I read stuff and I go, you know what? I'm so done with this. I'm so tired of the enemy using that as a tool to divide the church of Jesus Christ. And so with that, this is why today's text is going to remind us to take a step towards grace, because we're going to learn about a judge who gets virtually no airtime. Some of you are going, hey, if we're spending three weeks in the book of Judges, and in the book of Judges, there's 12 men, one woman, woman there's 13, 13 total, and we're only covering three, I mean, why couldn't you pick Samson? I love Samson. It's because the Holy Spirit of God said, you will teach on Jephthah, because nobody really knows about Jephthah, and there's some incredible lessons to learn, and those lessons were reinforced um, this week in my study. So let me give you the the backdrop. Um, you, You need to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 10, Judges chapter 10, the Page in front of you, uh, the, 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 the Bible in front of you is on page 249. I want you to, uh, so, so here is the context. The context is, again, the nation of Israel turn their back on God. So I want you to look at Judges 10, verse 10. And here we see that repetitive cycle again. So, the nation is distressed. In verse 10, it says, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals, the the, the pagan gods. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Monites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. So God is basically saying this, didn't I do that? You know, I'm the one who did that. And yet what do you find yourself doing? It says, yet, verse 13, you have forsaken me, and you've served other gods. And then he says something that is the very first time he has said this. Seven times, every time they cried out to God, he responded. But this time, what does he say? Therefore, I will save you no more. Now, that's shocking. That's a shocking statement, isn't it? Why would God, when his people are crying out to him... Why would God say, I am not going to respond? Why would he say that? Have you ever had kids? (laughs) They start bargaining with you? Okay, if you do this, then I will. And if then, if then, if then, and we negotiate, we negotiate with our parents, like we try to negotiate with God. Okay, when you do this, God, for me, then I'm going to do this for you. And they have done this now seven times. God has shown up through a judge. The judge functioned as a deliverer. So God took them out of their oppression through that designated deliverer. And again, these deliverers weren't real great people all the time. They had flaws. So verse 14, this is a little sarcasm. I appreciate that in the Bible. Just saying. God says, go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. Is it possible? God might be saying that to you today. Is it possible? That the Lord might be saying to you, You know, you call out to me only in time of your need, but every time I respond to you, you're fine for a time, but you go back into old habits. He says, I don't want your tradition. I want your heart. So here is a picture of God going after your heart. He says, I want your heart. But then listen how it, well, well. Again, all of this I, I uh, see represented in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So again, God says, I have designed you to get your, your nutrients from me. I, 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 I am the fountain. Drink from me. How many of you are tired of drinking from dirty fountains? And they're dirty fountains because it's like, well, these are man-made, okay? So we start drinking from those. And it just doesn't taste real well. But, but God is calling them out on this. And he says, you've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And in this verse, you really have really the totality of the cost of sin in our lives. Uh, let me explain. The two sides of sin, like two sides of a coin, are these rejecting God. So you say, I'm going to reject God. How do we reject God? You just said, I just, I, I'm not coming under his authority. And instead of putting myself under his authority, I'm going to reject God and I'm going to replace God with something else. And those are called small g gods. Now what I find interesting in chapter 10 is there was a listing of seven gods that were pagan gods that they were bringing into their worship of Jehovah God. I think seven gods is significant because seven gods is this uh, idea of the number of completion. And he says, okay, you have given your heart to these other gods. He says, but where, what, what have I done? I've taken care of you. I've provided for you. You call out. Well, then what I love about here in chapter 10, then it it." it You see this tension, this tension that God is calling out in the same uh, uh, tension for us this morning. Are you using God or are you worshiping God? Well, what would be one who uses God? One who uses God would be, Lord, again, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. You are using God to accomplish your will and your purpose and said, Lord, I can care less about your will. Here's how I want you to address my will. And that is religion right there. That is religion saying, if I could appease the gods, if I could just make more sacrifices, the gods will be happy with me and will do whatever I want. But the worshiper, the worshiper says, Lord, there is no greater joy than being told by you what to do. Because you are the great creator. You have designed everything just to be rhythmic with your heartbeat. And that's where I find my joy. This is why you can run after popularity. You can run after beauty. You can run after success. You can run after all of these small g gods. And when you get there, and you find that it is not fulfilling your soul, God is saying, that's right. I've created that in that system so that it will, by my grace, turn you back to me. What's interesting, though, in chapter uh, 10, it says, verse 15, And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. And then verse 16 says they did something different than they had done before. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. That was the trick. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. It says there's something different that happened. They, they put away their gods. This is what would be repentance. They just said, God, I'm not just going to with my words say that I will follow you. Through my actions, I'm going to say I'm going to follow you. And so now they are basically saying, before, we just wanted peace from you. But now we want peace with you. We want a relationship, Lord. It's what you want. And so true repentance happens. So anyway. Here we see this incredible picture being played out where God keeps responding to the undeserving. Grace, God's favor towards the undeserving. That should be in there towards. Grace, God's favor towards those who are undeserving. That is what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is there's nothing I could do to earn it. It's everything God has done for me. And this is why we celebrate this. So now we come to the eighth judge recorded in the book of Judges. And here we're going to see how grace plays out. Actually, we're going to see how ungrace plays out. Not having grace plays out. Verse Verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, what did they do? They drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. I tell you, I spent a long time on these verses right here. Because I I was saying, Lord, what might be in my spirit that I might have that same vindictiveness in my heart to look at somebody in my own family and say, well, you know what? They're not like totally a follower of God. they, They have this opinion, or they have this view, or this view, and this view isn't right, and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, it's very easy for me then, in my mind, to think of them as lesser, and that is wrong. You see, here you have this Jephthah. He couldn't help who his mom was. He couldn't help who his mom was. And in fact, here... You have uh, God kind of giving this picture of of the nation of Israel that kept whoring after other gods in a very adulterous kind of a way. And so now you you have this guy who had no control, the background he had, the mother he had, zero control over that. And his very own family made him feel worse for who he was. And he says, you know what? You have no inheritance with us. And when I got to thinking about that, I'm going, how many times in the church of Jesus Christ has that message been portrayed? You don't matter. You don't matter. You don't matter. You don't matter. And I think it can be particularly hard with those of us who maybe have been raised in church all of our lives. We've been raised in church all of our lives, and this message that church gives is you've got to be sinless. You've got to be perfect. You, you can't mess up. You can't mess up. But I'll tell you, we are flawed people, are we not? We just are. On my best days, I'm flawed. All of us have that. And, and so now, basically, what we see, the consequence of grace not being extended to Jephthah is going to help set the stage for how Jephthah carries on with his life. And so when he's cast out of his family, he's running towards people that are a, a, a bunch of thugs, a bunch of renegades. They would be the equivalent of pirates. Pirates. They said, we're going to rob from people. And so Jephthah, they developed a reputation of don't mess with Jephthah or his guys. Okay, so the story goes on. And it says this verse 4. In the time, uh, after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And so I'm going to sum up the next uh, verses here for you. What happens is the elders of Israel... They consider that uh, these Ammonites are getting the best of them and they need a mighty warrior. And the only mighty warrior they knew was Jephthah. But Jephthah had been cast out. It's like, yeah, he was cast out, but we need him back in here because he can really help us out. And really, this whole idea is almost God is giving them a picture through Jephthah's response in the very way uh, God is responding to his nation saying, If you you read the text, it says in verse 7, when they asked Jephthah to lead them in battle, he said, do you not hate me and, and drive me out of my father's house? I mean, you guys did this to me. Now you're asking for my help? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? ultimately what he learned out there in the wilderness of tob what he learned out there he then starts applying okay if you then do this for me if you make me your judge then i will lead you into battle and so they do that jephthah ends up through diplomacy in verses 12 on he 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 goes up against the ammonites and he gets very historical with them And he just says, okay, you say that we stole your land, but no, we legitimately took your land way back in the day. The Lord gave it to us. And so he gets historical, but when you go to verse 28 of chapter 11, it says, but the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. And I get to thinking, why would this enemy of God not at all be concerned as to defying the God of Israel. It's because the people in the land of Israel had nothing for the king of Ammon to be concerned about. It's just like, hey, you're treating your God just like we treat our gods. There's nothing special about your God. And so he goes to war. And then verse 29, it says, the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. This is very unique on the judges. You see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God coming on for a period of time to do what the work of God once accomplished. And so in this case, it was deliverance. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead. And then he, uh, on his way into battle, verse 30 says this, hugely important. And this is why this doesn't get preached very often. It says, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand. Then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. What is Jephthah doing there? Jephthah is doing what was very customary amongst commanders with pagan gods. They would say, okay, gods, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. And what was very common, the bigger the battle, the greater the sacrifice. And so they would say this. What Jephthah was saying is, Lord, if you deliver them into my hands, which, by the way, you already said you were going to do, he says, then I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my door. So at the end of verse 33, it says, So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. So it was very, very, there's one verse on he struck them down in one. Okay? Not a whole lot of detail to that. But then verse 34, then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son or daughter. Okay, what is is Jephthah do? He makes a promise to God. A, a horrible promise he doesn't know who's going to be the first out of his house, household but he wanted to treat jehovah god like all the other gods and say hey i will make this vow to you and here is what is so tragic with the story you read the story and every indication is he carries out his vow to god now does god view human sacrifice is absolutely despicable Yes, he does. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31 says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they, referring to the Canaanites, have done for their gods for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. He says, no, I do not require that of you. Do not fall into this paganistic practice because every life is valuable to God. But here's what I love. Here's what I love, love, love about um, the laws of God. And that is within the laws of God, there is the grace of God seen. There is the grace of God seen. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, if you read the first five verses, it says, if you've made a vow, a promise to God that involves somebody else, and you know that this is a foolish vow, there is a way out. And in this case, for Jephthah and the age of his only daughter who when you read the text, you fall in love with her because she said, Dad, you're back. I love you. I'm so glad God gave you the victory. Way to go. And then Jephthah says, I made a vow to God to kill the first thing that comes out. And so now I've got to keep my promise to him, and now I've got to kill you. This is why this is not a bedtime story. But see, this is a great warning for we in the church of Jesus Christ. We can know all the stories. We can get very historical. We can be able to quote facts and trivia and all of those things. We can do that. But when we don't truly know the word of God, we do not see how much the grace of God is in the word of God. And he never had to carry out that foolish vow. Never had to do it. But I think because grace wasn't extended to him, he would never even thought of a God being a God of grace. And so he wouldn't think that God would have an out with something like that. And here you have Jephthah carrying out this foolish plan and his lack of grace extended to him would manifest itself even out in the very next chapter. In chapter 12, you see that he attacks his own countrymen. Kills 42,000 of his own countrymen. See, and and that is the ultimate, what I would call friendly fire. You are now killing the people of God. You are not extending grace. What is going on with you? And so from this story, if I could quickly walk through these four grace realities that we learn in Jephthah's story. The first one is this. God's grace came not to make bad people good, but bring dead people back to life. Who is a dead person? A dead person is anyone who does not walk in relationship with the living God, with the creator who designed you, with that place in your heart that only he can fill. When you don't have that filled with your creator in the form of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God, uh, you are a a dead man walking. But God says, here, I I, I have now provided a way for you to have life in me. But here's the second truth that we see, that there is no depth too deep nor wall too high where God's grace cannot reach. When I look at Jephthah, yes, he was abandoned by his own family, and that took him to very dark places, very dark places. But God still redeems him in that situation and said, okay, I am still choosing to use you. This is a demonstration of God's grace. Jephthah does that. When I read through that, Jephthah does that. And thirdly, God's grace is woven throughout the law. I have capital L for law there because it's the law of Moses. But when you consider the laws of God in totality, small l, laws of God, When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? How did he respond? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says all the law can be summarized in that. It's how you are receiving the grace of God so that you can extend the grace of God to others. It breaks down those walls of us them it breaks those totally down leading to the fourth truth today god's grace is ultimately received in jesus and extended with the help of jesus okay i'm going to go to a new testament text to to wrap all of this up because this is so powerful i would encourage you this week read through ephesians Particularly, chapter two, because in chapter two there are some verses that we love to memorize. Like Ephesians 2:8-9 says, for, gra- "For by grace we've been saved through faith; it is not of yourselves; it's the gift of God, so that we can't boast about it. But we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared beforehand." you to accomplish and we stop there and it's tragic for us to stop there because when you continue reading i just want you to sit back and i want you to listen to these words but now in christ jesus you who were once far off "...have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and is broken down in His flesh, the dividing wall of hostility." By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Jesus Christ, through what he did for us on the cross, it says the dividing walls that used to divide... Jews used to call them Gentiles. Well, we're the Jews. We're the favorite of God. We are God's chosen people. Oh, but them Gentiles over there. And they used to lift themselves up self-righteously. And who was always in the crosshairs of Jesus' correction in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It was always those self-righteous people. It's always those people who knew all the traditions, did all the right things. They just did not have God's heart. He's saying, hey, there's a way you get God's heart. It is following so close that the dust of the rabbi gets all over you. And as you are following Jesus, your heart is being transformed. And we have to be a place, Grace Spring, where people can have a variety of different opinions. Understanding that people have a variety of backgrounds. And in that variety, it brings a beautiful tapestry. And it enables us the opportunity within the family of faith to have conversations so that we will listen. And in our listening that we will truly learn and hear even another perspective. And it doesn't mean that all of us are going to agree on everything. But it is to say that we have zero right to be able to look down on others who are part of the family of faith and say, well, I feel so convicted this way. It's like, hey, great, we might disagree, but here's one thing we agree on. There is a mission of God, and you and I are on the same team. We need to hear that. We need to be encouraged by that church. And so enable uh, your ears to hear from the messenger who is trying to share what God's truth is from the Word of God, so that the Holy Spirit can can change you to become someone that you might not even be now? In fact, Craig Darling, a fellowship of Christian athletes who works with the Western Michigan athletes, uh, he baptized one of our the uh, the. I I believe she was a point guard for the Western Michigan women's basketball team uh, during the first service. And he said, hey, I'm just here to tell you, you are not the same girl now (laughs) that you were at the beginning of the school year. And it's because, hey, I follow Jesus. And in my following, he changes me. We've got to cultivate an environment here, folks, that we exercise the grace of God so that we exercise this oil so that there not be friction and we break down but that there's be a place where we say yes i want to listen to you i want to learn from you but i am definitely going to love you and we might disagree but this is a place where we can fall in alignment under the power and the authority of the grace of almighty god because this is the picture that i love i love that the cross has a very big vertical portion to the cross that gets you to look up, and that the more I find myself looking up, it also has a horizontal um, aspect to the cross that as I look up, then the overflow of my looking up then is carried out to expression of love for those beside me. The church is a people of faith made up of diverse people, diverse opinions, but that all come under the authority Of one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is not just our Savior, he's our King. And it's the King that we get to celebrate as a family of faith. Whether you are here, whether you're watching online, we just so appreciate you. And so appreciate what the family of faith can be when the family of faith is extending grace. Not just truth, but grace to one another let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. And now as we respond in song, Lord, we acknowledge that you truly are our king. And Lord, in the book of Judges, time and time we read even there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And tragically, we live in a society where everyone is doing right in their own eyes. And we are so am- Um, influenced by our culture that unfortunately that same mindset has come into the church Lord do your sanctifying work do your cleansing work but Lord it starts with repentance Lord we give our hearts to you Lord may this be a place that takes steps forward into your promise by taking steps towards grace because a place where people feel loved there is no substitute for that in your economy So, Lord, give us your power to love in the radical grace that you loved, we pray. In your holy and precious name, amen.